0: Well, uh, man, I am so excited to be here with you tonight, and I'm so excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, how many of you guys, how many of you guys have ever promised someone something and you broke the promise to them? How many, anybody ever done that before? All right, all right, I see. I see. Hey, man, you got to know who you can trust and who you can't, people. Look around. Uh, Dude, uh. I remember uh, when I was younger I was probably like uh, I don't know 14 15 years old you know freshman sophomore in high school and my parents have like this like little like small cabin at this like little lake and and uh, and, and it's kind of like a street and there's a bunch of houses on the street and it goes down at the end of the street and there's a pier that goes out and so like every person on the street kind of uses that pier for the water and so my, my mom was a teacher my dad was a, or not a teacher but she worked in a school and my dad was a mechanic and so we would go uh, we would go there uh, like during the summer because my mom had like the summers off. And uh, and so we were hanging out there, we'd be there all summer long. We'd go hang out at night and everything else out on the water. And I remember, I remember we had this guy that lived down the street, and his name was Evan. And so my brother, my best friend Travis, and I, we were down there hanging out, and Evan was hanging out with us, and Evan was crazy. Anybody got a crazy friend? Anybody the anybody the crazy friend? And uh, yes. And uh so Evan was this crazy guy. So so anyways, at the end of our street, we had a pier that went out. And the pier went out, I don't know, like, you know, it goes out probably about as long as the bridge out there. It's not super long, but it's out there. But there's another pier. It's actually the longest pier on the lake. And it's like three or four piers over. And it goes way down to the end. And we're out there at nighttime. And so at the end of the pier, it had this light on at the top. And you can see out in the water. Now, the cool thing about this lake is, is that you could go out in the water forever before it's over your head. And the, the bottom of the lake is sand, so it's not all gooey on the bottom. You know those gooey lakes, you know what I'm saying? And and so it's really cool. So so anyways, we're out there at night. We're just hanging out, and we can see out at the end of this long pier these, like, old people out there, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, uh, like, uh, and now when you're 15, 14, 15 years old, like, 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 30, 35 is old, you know what I mean? Like, I'm almost 35, y'all think I'm old. I am not old people, all right? But the people down at the end of this bridge At the end of the pier, we're like, they were all like 70 years old, you know, like they were older. And they're just hanging out there at the end of the pier. So we we said to Evan, we said, hey, bro, I bet you won't strip down butt naked, run down the pier, climb up on the top, jump off in the middle of these old people. And he said, you're right, I'm not going to do that. And we were like, all right, well, I'll tell you what, man, I'll give you you five bucks. My friend Travis like, I'll give you five bucks. My brother's like, I'll give you five bucks. And we start getting the money together and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, all right, you promise? We're like, yeah, absolutely, we promise we will give you the money if you do it. He's like, all right, man. So we go down, and we're at the end of the big pier, and this is before cell phones. Man, why could we not have cell phones back then? And uh, so we're down at the end of the pier, and he strips down butt naked, man, just, just in his skimpies. He strips down butt naked, and he starts running down the pier. He climbs up on the top, cannonballs off the top. Boom, right in the middle of these four old people, dude. Like, we are rolling. So then my buddy Travis was like, hey, dude. Let's grab his clothes. So we grabbed his clothes. We took off running. We locked ourselves in the house, and he had to go through the whole street, through the whole neighborhood. Dude, that's messed up. I know, I know. And when you you break a promise from someone, like, it hurts trust with that person. It hurts their feelings. Like, breaking promises isn't a good thing. And I can tell you, uh, also, when someone fulfills a promise, it can be one of the coolest things that you ever experience. See, when someone promises you something and they follow through with it, it's a sign of loyalty. It's a sign that, that they care about you. It's, it's oftentimes a sign of support. That the people that, that I like have a lot of respect for in my life and care about are people who have made promises to me through my life and have followed through on those promises. Now, they're not perfect and they have their faults, flaws, flaws and all that kind of stuff, but, but they follow through on their promises. I will never forget the day when I was standing in front of my wife at the altar. And knowing that in like 10 minutes, while we're looking at each other eye to eye, knowing in like 10 minutes, like this woman is going to be the woman I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And, and watching her stare at me in the eyes and say things like, I promise to love and cherish you for better or for worse and, rich is, you know, and, uh, for, and sickness and health. Richer for richer for poorer, for poorer in my family. I'm a pastor. And she's making these promises to me. We're having this conversation at the altar. And I'm just looking at her in the eyes. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most special, meaningful, amazing moments in my life. And I'll never forget that. And it's because I knew that she meant it. It's because I knew she meant it. And I think one of the coolest things... That I think about when I think about God, and I think about you know, it's something that like I, I like to bring up frequently because I want you to get this. I want you to know this: that God loves you so much. That he cares about you so much that he desires good for you. Just like my wife desires good for her husband. Just like I desire good for my my wife in the same way. God gives this marital language to picture the relationship that exists between God and his church. Between Jesus and his church. That is the picture that he gives because he wants to show this meaningful special relationship that exists between us. And that God in his, his love for us and because he desires good for us because he loves us that he makes promises to us. And one of the cool things about God is that God always follows through on his promises. He always does. In fact, the Bible, uh, 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 a a theologian said this. He says, in the Bible, there are over 30,000 promises from God The God doesn't even care. He's not even worried about falling short on him. He's like, he's just throwing out promises all over the place. Because he's like, hey, bro, I can back it up. I'm God, I'm going to back it up. I made these promises to you. And I love what, um, uh, what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. It says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Who makes us stand firm in, in Christ? God does. God gives us the strength. He, give us, he gives us the power. And then he goes on and he says, he anoints us and his seal of ownership is on us. And he and puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Listen, listen. Not only are my promises in your life a yes, but you need to understand that what I have done for you is a deposit guaranteeing that I'm going to follow through on what I said I'm going to follow through on. That I guarantee it. That you don't need a warranty with God, right? You don't need a warranty because it's guaranteed. And and what's cool about that is is that we can trust the promises of God and we can trust that in Christ they are, yes. And I would say this, there's perhaps no other promise of the 30,000 in all of Scripture that is more significant than the promise that God has given us through Jesus that if you would put your trust and faith in Him, that He would redeem you, that He would save you and restore you back to God. This is what we talked about last week. In fact, if you wasn't here last week, I want to challenge you to go back and pick up the first couple weeks of this teaching because we have been talking about the four uh, plot movements of Scripture in this four-week series. The first week we talked about creation and the fact that God created that God created everything and He said that it was good. And we then in the the second week, we talked about Genesis chapter three, where was the fall of man. God put man in a garden. He said, You can eat from any tree that you want to eat from, but this one tree that you must not eat from. Now God wasn't setting them up to fail, but God was giving them an opportunity to accept him or reject him, the same opportunity he gives us today. And Adam and Eve chose to eat from that tree and reject God. And as a result, sin entered the world, and that sin has been passed down to all man. And the next plot movement in Scripture we see is redemption. God's salvation that for the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the close of Malachi is the story of God making a promise and, and, uh, to Abraham and, and setting on a pattern of, of, of trying to uh, set in, uh, or setting in the course of salvation history what would be eventually set up the coming of the Messiah, God's Son who would save the world from their sins and that Jesus died on the cross that he was buried that he rose again on the third day what we talked about last week so that we could be restored to God that he died on the cross in our place for our sin that we have sin in our life and we should have died because of that sin but Jesus was sinless and he died so he didn't die for his sin he died for our sin that's redemption that through faith in him we can be saved but what does that mean for us now I think the second part of that is that I think the second greatest promise is the promise of eternal life. That it's not even that we just get redemption and salvation, but I think kind of the other side of that, the flip side of that is is that we get eternal life. That we have been promised eternal life. In fact, Titus 1-2 says this, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. We see something about the character of God. Look, look, God fulfills His promises. He guarantees. God doesn't lie. He's promising us eternal life. And He's promised us this eternal life before the world began. And that in faith in Him, we don't have to experience spiritual death, but we can have spiritual life. And so here, if you're taking notes, you got uh, your worship God there, you can look at this and, and fill out your notes. Um, you can write this down. The first thing I want you to know is this. Eternal life begins at salvation. That this eternal life that the Bible talks about begins its salvation. In other words, eternal life begins the moment that you give your life to Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, eternal life, like that's when we go to heaven one day. That's something that's, that's down the road. No, the moment that you give your life to Christ, you now have eternal life. You've been placed in the family of God. This is why Jesus tells us that we can have this abundant life, this full life in Christ. That we can actually live here on this earth for the rest of our physical lives and we can have a full life here. That we don't have to live defeated because God has promised us eternal life that starts the moment that you give your life to Jesus. I talk to people sometimes and they say this. They say, hey man, you're not like one of those like like born again Christians, are you? I'm like, I don't really know any Christian that's not a born again Christian. Like that's the whole point. See, the truth is, is that when we're born, we're born with a physical body, and because of sin, that physical body is going to death. We all know that. It's a, there's a hundred percent chance that your body's going to die die one day, right? I don't have to argue that, right? A hundred percent chance. Hopefully for all of you, it is later in your years, but there's a 100% chance we have this physical body. But here's the deal. You're not just made of this material, physical body. You also have a soul. And your soul, because of sin, is dead. So your soul is dead and your body is on its way to death. Now if you go look at a tombstone, you see on the tombstone two numbers. You see a birth date, and you see the day that the person passed away. And the truth is, is that... We are all born once of the body, but the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that we need to be born of the Spirit. That our soul needs to be born. This is what it means to be born again. What it means to be born again is that it's not that you go back in your mother's womb. This is the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and you actually get born again. It said, no, that your spirit is actually born. So actually, I have a spiritual birthday. July 14th, 1998, when I was 17 years old, is the day I give my life to Jesus. But June the 10th, 1981 is my physical birthday. That you must have a physical birthday and a spiritual birthday in order to, for, your, for you to, to have eternal life. That at the moment of salvation is your spiritual birthday. It is when you now, your spirit, your soul comes to life. It's when, you become, uh, when your soul comes to life. And it's important that we understand this because the truth is, is that one day we're going to die. And when we die, our bodies go into the ground, but our soul lives forever. Our soul lives forever. Now if our soul is dead and it hasn't been born again, it hasn't been given life, then it, is, then it lives forever separated from God because what's dead cannot be in the presence of God. What has been tainted by sin cannot be in the presence of God. But what has been born again, what has been given life through Jesus, is now given new bodies. So when we go to heaven, we get new bodies. Our old bodies go on the ground. We get new bodies when we go to heaven. Our soul goes to heaven. We get new bodies. And then that's the reason why when we go to heaven, everything is perfect. Everything is amazing. It's important that you get that and understand that because we're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That as a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, the moment that you take your last breath on earth, you're taking your first breath in heaven. The moment you take your last breath on earth, you're taking your first breath in heaven. This is the reason Paul says this. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wait a minute, Paul, bro. You Okay, bro, you crazy, man. Listen, are you saying that you would rather die than live? No, what I'm saying is if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Jesus. But if I die, I gain heaven. So, of course, it's gain. It's gain. If I get to be in the presence of God and get to be in heaven, then it's gain. So it it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I live or if I die. Because I have confidence in Christ. I have confidence in his promises that he has for me. I have confidence in eternal life. That there's gain when we go to heaven. It's important that we talk about this because a lot of times what happens is that, is that we, we get our perspective uh, kind of too close. We, we begin to look at life like this. And life becomes this. And, and when life becomes this, we're worried about stuff. And we're anxious about stuff. And, and we're fearful about stuff. Because all we see is the troubles of today. And we forget about how small the time is we live on the earth. Think about the word eternal. What does eternal mean? I mean, it means forever, that we get to spend forever in heaven with God. Like, can you even fathom forever? That's like 10 million years times 10 million years in heaven, and you're just getting started. Like, we're talking about forever, eternal life. And in heaven, God, the, the, the way that things are, happen in heaven are the way that God desired them to be before man sinned in the garden. We're going to go back to that here in a little bit as well. But I want you to begin to see this eternal perspective, how short your time is here and how great your time is in heaven and how that impacts and how that should influence the way you live your life. This is the reason Jesus said this and would challenge uh, the, the people of God with this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. He says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves do break in and steal in other words what you store up here on the earth is temporary that the iphone that you have in your pocket right now though it may be shiny and new now a hundred years from now it's going to be irrelevant But if you're talking to people about Jesus, if you're leading people to Christ, you're serving them, you're sharing the love of Christ with the people around you, then what happens is is that you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Those people are being impacted. That a hundred years from now, that's going to matter for that guy or for that girl. That's going to matter for their family one day. It's going to matter for their kids and their grandkids. And it's going to matter for their eternity. Jesus would challenge us, stop thinking about the temporal. Stop thinking about the material. Stop thinking about the things that are right here in front of your face because the truth is you're going to spend way more time on the other side of eternity than you are on this side of eternity. In fact, I saw this video uh, from a pastor, a guy by the name of Francis Chan, floating around on social media. Maybe some of you guys have seen it. The quality of the video is not all that great. But I want to show you the video because I want you to hear the message of what he's trying to say. He's talking about the point that I'm making right now. And he uses a really cool illustration to picture it. It's about four minutes. Check it out.
1: I was going, man, what am I to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember a computer paper? when uh, it was all stuck together and it had the holes on the side that you had to peel off. Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me, But because uh, that was the best, you know? And, um, and it never worked right because of the rolling things. But, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor, and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room. And, uh, but I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, <laughs> Imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination, pretend it goes around the world a few times, it doesn't, it ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. It you just exists forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. (laughs) And you're consumed with that, and you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get to travel, am I gonna eat well, am I gonna do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? what about this? What about, th- what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can, Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God, because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions, and go, "Oh, you're so stupid," because that's going to really affect this. I go, "No, you're stupid," because it's going to affect all of this. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look, I look at the way people live, and I go, "Wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to, you're going to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing." If you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff, and it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy, because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's, it's this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds, and Paul goes, I'm not doing that. Because I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm gonna forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just gonna I'm straining. Because I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm gonna pass this thing. I'm gonna live this out. And I'm gonna face him. I'm gonna come before the judges and he's gonna hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm gonna get in. I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but I, you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me, because I'm gonna pass that line well.
0: It's good isn't it and that's the truth that when you have an eternal perspective it changes the way you live it changes the way you think this is what Jesus was trying to do He was trying to tell us to have an eternal perspective he was trying to teach us that when you give your life to Christ it's about eternal life now if you're taking notes the second point I want to make is this heaven is going to be sick nasty all right it is going to be sick nasty people all right now now listen I know what you're thinking I know what you're thinking. You've seen cartoons before, and you're like, okay, the way I picture heaven is, like, I'm going to be chilling on a cloud with, like, a halo, and some, like, angels, some fat baby looking angel things with, like, big diapers are going to fly by playing a harp. You know what I'm saying? Like, And, like, that's heaven. Or, or you've pictured heaven like some big, like, church service where all you're going to be doing is singing hymns to God all day. Doesn't that sound awesome? Or... Or uh, or or you picture it like you picture it like um, I don't know like uh, uh, you know uh, I don't know what I was going to say, <laughs> but I'm sure it was good or not. Uh, but you know we picture it in different ways, and we and we picture heaven in these different ways. And 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 what well what does the Bible say heaven is going to be like? The Bible says it's going to be sick, nasty, awesome. That's what it says about heaven. It doesn't use those exact words, but if God used those words, he would use those words, all right? Like, heaven is going to be awesome, right? Like, think about it like this. You think about people. You think about the people that live around this earth and you think of the creativity that is in finite, limited human beings and the pleasures that we have thought up to come up with in order to have fun and enjoy life. Like I think of roller coasters and airplanes and Tannerite. Like whoever thought a Tannerite is a, my friend, you know what I'm saying? All right, who doesn't know what Tannerite is? Oh, I'm sorry, people. All right, let me, let me, let me show you what Tannerite is. Check this out. That's tannerite, all right? Tannerite is a substance that you mix up, and then when you shoot it with a gun, it explodes, all right? It is awesome, right? When you're shooting long-range targets, you have to use this stuff because you can't tell if you hit the target. But if it explodes, then you can tell that you hit the target. And so people blow up all kinds of stuff. There's some really funny YouTube videos online of people blowing up different stuff. So anyways, that's tannerite. But people who have limited creativity have come up with this stuff. Can you imagine an infinite God? Who has no limit to his creativity. In fact, so creative that he created the entire world that we lived in. It was all his idea. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like one day with his desire to please his people, the church, his bride, who he desires and promises and guarantees eternal life to. It's going to be amazing. One theologian said, it's going to be sick, nasty. That's all I'm saying. One One theologian said this. He said this. He said, heaven is the most marvelous place the wisdom of God could conceive and the power of God could prepare. That's good. Let me say that again. Heaven is the most marvelous place that the wisdom of God could conceive and that the power of God could prepare. And we get a glimpse of heaven in Scripture. If you got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Revelation. It's at the very end of your Bible. In fact, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22, which is literally at the very end of your Bible. Uh, chapter 22 of Revelation is the last chapter of Scripture in your Bible. Some students ask me, say, hey, man, let's talk about Revelation. All right, well, we're about to. So here we go. And one of the cool things about the book of Revelation here and, and Revelation 21 and 22 is we get to see a glimpse of heaven. We get to see a glimpse of what it's going to look like and be like. And I want to explain it to you a little bit. And I want you to see how stinking cool and sick, nasty heaven is going to be. So here we go. Let's read it. Start in verse 1, chapter 21, verse 1. He says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In other words, the earth that we live on now is going to be, you know, going to be gone the heaven that exists now when you go into heaven is 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 going to be gone and there's actually a new heaven and a new earth that is going to be brought about and that's where we're going to reside this is the new heaven and you drop down to verse 4 and it says this this is something that is going to be going on in heaven think about this it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away one of the marks of heaven is that there's going to be no disease. There's going to be no disaster. There's going to be no death. There's going to be no crying. There's going to be no pain. The Bible would teach us that that he this is where every tear is wiped from our eye. That you're not going to be thinking about that because sin has not tainted heaven. That God has protected this place from being, uh, from, from being tainted. Then you drop down to verse 16. And I want you to see this. This is super cool. I'm going to explain this to you. It says, The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And as wide and as high and as long. In other words, it was a cube. It was wide and high and long. It was a cube in, in shape. He's talking about the city, the city of God in heaven. And it says this, In the angel measured the walls uh, with human, using human measurements. And it was 144 cubits thick. And the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. And the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every precious stone. And the first foundations were jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was agate. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was onyx. The sixth was ruby. The seventh was... All right, just... Just picture He keeps going. All these different jewels and stuff that are going to be in here. Let me explain to you what he says here. He says it's going to be 12,000 stadia, long and wide. Uh, This is 1,400 miles across and more, uh, 1,400 miles across and across and high. Let me explain to you the area of how big he's talking about this city of God is going to be. It is 2 million square miles. 2 million square miles. That is the the modern-day interpretation of the distance that he's using here. Two million square miles. You say, how big is that? The state of Texas is 269,000 square miles. In other words, heaven, the city of God in heaven, is going to be eight times the size of the state of Texas. It's going to be huge. And it says that it is pure gold, not gold-plated. It's going to be pure gold as pure, like it's going to look like glass because the gold is so pure. And it's going to be laced with all of these different uh, different precious stones. It goes on and it says that, that the city has 12 gates to enter into it from all different areas. These 12 gates that you enter into are made from a single pearl. Think about how big the, uh, the, uh, the, the oyster has to be to get a pearl the size of what he determines and talks about the, these gates being. They're made from a single pearl. I mean, think about the imagination of God when he begins to put together this city that we will be in in heaven for the rest of our lives. <laughs> It's 1,400 miles high. That is well into the earth's atmosphere. In other words, heaven is going to be higher up in the air than the earth is. It's going to be amazing. The scope, the grandeur of it, and all of the creativity, all of the pleasures that uh, infinite God can come up with and conceive of in his mind, which is limitless, is going to be at your fingertips in heaven. That is heaven. That's what the Bible defines, describes, and talks about what heaven is going to be like. And not only is it going to be this beautiful and amazing, and then if you get down to verse 27 of this passage, it says this, Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or decent, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, the Bible would tell us that when you give your life to Jesus, your name's written into the Lamb's book of life. And so he's saying those whose names have been written written into the Lamb's book of life have access to this place that he's talking about. If you go to chapter 22 and you drop down to verse 3, and actually it's cool to read this whole thing, this whole thing, but I'm going to drop down to verse 3. It says, no longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb of God... and, the, and the, of the lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and, and, they, uh, and they will reign forever and ever. There's going to be no night, no darkness in heaven. It's going to be light all the time. And the glory of God is going to shine and and provide light over heaven. I mean, this is a beautiful picture. And I want you to notice, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Heaven is the restoration. Heaven is the restoration. This is the fourth plot movement that heaven is restoring everything back to the way God designed it to be and desired for it to be in the garden. It's a restoration of Eden. Notice he says there will no longer be any curse. There's been a curse on mankind since the fall of mankind, since sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. And he says that curse has now been removed. It is no longer present. That he has taken that away and removed it from us. And this changes how we live. It changes how we think. There's a bigger picture, there's a bigger goal. This is the for I can live as Christ, but to die is gain. You're going to scare me with heaven? We have something to look forward to. But we also have eternal life while we're here, and we get to live it here. We get to make that red part of our life be significant, those years that we have here on this earth. And I want to challenge you guys with something, and I think this is important. I think it's important, especially Easter's coming up this weekend, man. This weekend is going to be powerful at 12 Stone Church. You know, we'll have some, you know, 25 to 30,000 people that'll be at our campuses this weekend. Thousands of people we're praying will come to know Jesus and have for the last couple years. So we have no reason to believe that that will not happen again. And I want you to know this. I want you to know that you can have confidence if you've given your life to Jesus, that you can have confidence in the faith that you have in God, that he's got you in the palm of his hand, that he's got you. He's promised this. Just like I won't, I'm not walking away from my wife, just like my wife's not walking away from me because of the vows we make, God has made a vow with you that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. In fact, let me read you what John 10, 28 says. It says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Listen to what he says. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I've given them eternal life. So that they will not perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That God's got you. He's got you in the palm of his hand if you're a believer. You, You have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to be anxious about. You can go through trial. You can go through tribulation. You can go through suffering. You can go through difficulty. You can go through all the things that, because of the consequences of sin on this earth. And you have full confidence in knowing that God has got you no matter what. And if something in this world takes your life, glory to God, you get eternal life. And you get to go be in this place that God is creating for you. That is far beyond anything this world could ever offer you. He's got you in his hand. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's Romans 8. One of my favorite passages of scripture is this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That was a good one. Good sneeze there. Let me read that again. Romans 8:37 through 39. One of my favorite passages of scripture says this: nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor debt, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can't even hide from it. You cannot be separated from the love of God. That he's pursuing you, that he's after you, that he's in you if you're a believer. He's all over you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He loves you more than you could ever even imagine. This is why giving our lives to Jesus is so significant. This is why... People come up here and they put their thumbprint on the cross representing that they have a new identity, their identities in Christ, and they say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. This is the reason that Shelby's in the tub tonight, and she's talking about the trauma that she's been through in her life and talking about the self-destructive path that she's been on. And she talked about all of these different things that she's been through in her life and how God rescued her, redeemed her, picked her up out of the pit, and now he's holding her in the palm of his hand, and nothing is ever going to separate her from his love ever again. And she has new life. It's Chris's testimony. It's Darion's testimony. It's their testimonies that they get in this tub and they share about what God has done in their life. And he's given them freedom. And he's given them everlasting, eternal life. And if you don't have that, I want to challenge you tonight to make a decision to follow Jesus. That it's not just give your life to Jesus so you can go to heaven. It is give your life to Jesus so you can have eternal life now. It's not just the benefit for when you die one day. It's the benefit for now. Eternal life now. And we can sit here and talk about, well, what about this? and. Well, well, yeah, but I'm struggling with this. Well, I'm not sure I, think I believe in that. And I'm not sure I believe in this. I'm not sure. Man, stop with all the nonsense. What is the main thing? The main thing is that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. And we celebrated Easter with thousands, millions of people around the world that he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And we can now have a victory. We can now have eternal life. We can now get heaven and gain access to him. What a powerful message that is. That's it, man. That's it. So the band's gonna come up, and we're gonna close out, we're gonna close out tonight with a song. And as we're playing this song tonight, man, I want to just ask you to respond to God. Maybe you're here tonight and we're ending this series and you're saying, you know what, man, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I'm really struggling. I'm going through some stuff. And tonight, I just needed to have my perspective opened up. That I've been looking at life like this. I got anxiety, I got worry, I got fear. I look at all the stuff around me and all I can see is this. And tonight I just needed to have a broader, I needed to have an eternal perspective. And God, tonight I need to give some things over to you. I need to have some conversations with you during this last song. To let you know that I'm so grateful and thankful. That even though I've had this perspective, you've never taken your eyes off of me that you've had me in the palm of your hand that your love has never wavered that you're still pursuing me that you still love me that you're still drawing me near to yourself even in my disobedience you have been faithful that even though i broke my promises god you've never broke your promises to me and you need to thank him and maybe there's others of you in this room in this last song and you say i need to give my life to jesus i need to give my life to christ if I'm honest, eternal life, life in general doesn't seem like much right now. My perspective is small and it's because I don't have Jesus. And tonight I need to surrender my life to him. I want to just challenge you in this next song, just have a conversation with God, say God, I, I love you and I thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done for me. I thank you so much that you died on the cross for my sins, that you made a way for me to be saved. God, would you save my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Just have your own little conversation with God. It's not about the words you say. It's about the heart in which you say them. In fact, I think sometimes God likes our honesty. God, I don't know what to say. But Lord, all I know is I want you. Then what I want to ask you to do is tear that bottom part of your bulletin off there. I want you to write your name, your first and last name legible so I can read it. Put your phone number on there drop it in this bucket up here and put your thumbprint on the cross like many others have done since August of this year saying they wanted to get their life to Jesus and I'll follow up with you and let's have a conversation about next steps let's talk about baptism and maybe next month you're going to be the one in the tub you had no idea when you came here tonight that you'd begin to baptize a month from now So I want to pray for you. And if that's you tonight, I want to ask you to respond. Don't walk out of this place without doing some business with God. That's why we came here tonight, man. We came here, yeah, we get to hang out with friends. We get to talk. We get to goof off. We get to worship, and we love the music. And, you know, sometimes we like some of the things that Derek says. But the truth is, is that the reason we came here tonight is to have an encounter with God. And what we've been praying about all day long is that you would have an encounter with God, that you would experience His presence, and that it would change your life for eternity. That's what we're praying for. Nothing else here is of significance if that doesn't happen. So God, I pray over these students tonight. I pray and ask, Lord, that they would do business with you right now in this moment. God, would we not waste this moment? I thank you, Lord, that we have the promises in your word. We have the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life, life everlasting. We have the promise of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give us the right perspective. I pray for salvation over this room. I pray for those that are in this room tonight. Maybe they've been coming for a while. Maybe this is the first time they've ever came, but tonight they say, you know what? God, I feel like you're tugging on my heart. I feel like you're telling me to do something. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to see what you do in my life. God, would you move in hearts tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.